batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Ready to move up. Always thought I'd like to say something. There's no reason why you shouldn't have complete confidence in your chances to come out of this thing alive in one piece. From coast to coast, from border to border, from one end to the other, and all points in between. The Classic Guitar Rock Podcast is on. Yes! That's awesome! We crank up and break down the great guitar-driven rock of the 70s and 80s. And you are invited to come along. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it! And now your hosts, Jeremy and Jeff. One half teaspoon for fast, effective relief. It's time for the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast, episode 11 today. I'm Jeremy and I'm here with my partner, Jeff. Jeff, how are are things in the Rocky Mountains this morning? Things are cold. Cold here too. Um, I think there's a little bit of an inversion is what they call it, Mm -hmm. where it's warmer in the mountains a little bit. So it's all the cold is down where you guys are, down where the people are. Yeah. Yeah, it's cold here. It's uh, 10 degrees right now here where I am. So That's pretty cold. Chilly here. I'm excited uh, about today's session because we're going to be talking about one of my favorite bands, and this album in particular is one of my favorite albums, so I'm excited that we'll be talking about that. Uh, the album in question today is from 1974. It's UFO's Phenomenon album which introduces a young guitar player named Michael Schenker. It wasn't his first album. He was on the Scorpions album, Lonesome Crow. But this was really where he kind of got his his traction. But But I'm getting ahead of myself. That's what we'll talk about today. I had one little related news item, Jeff. I think we could call it news. There's right. a There's a new Michael Schenker album out. Came out uh, actually a couple weeks ago. It's called Immortal, and this is the first Michael Shanker group album since, I think, 2008. So this is the wow. first album that he's called the Michael Shanker group since 2008. And I actually have a review of it on the YouTube channel, so you can check out the, the YouTube channel. But let me just say this. It's a great album. You it's like it? Album. Yeah. So I would highly recommend that, that you check it out. So I did have a question for you, Jeff. Any thoughts? Uh, we talked about the Mountain album last time you were on. Any any thoughts on Leslie West and Mountain since we've had that last little review? Not particularly, although I can hear some of Leslie West's influence in Michael Schenker. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you totally. Know? And that's exactly what I was fishing for. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, good. for sure. I thought about that, yeah, when I was listening. Okay, I am excited, Jeff, to share an email. We got an email here. Uh, and, and you can email us. Please do email us, classicguitarrock at mail.com. So I wanted to just share this email. Uh, this is from Michael. I'll just share his, his, last, or his first name. Michael says, uh, hi, thanks for the podcast. Discovered it a few days ago whilst hunting for things similar to my favorite the Album Club. The Album Club is another podcast, and I, I checked that out. I kind of like that. Uh, he says a couple of things to share. One, I enjoyed very much the classic rock family tree. 
my family and I play what we call the Spotify game, where we have to get from one artist to another using only the fans also like list of bands. For example, if you were trying to get from Sabbath to Guns N' Roses, you would first have to listen to a Sabbath song, then choose one of the bands out of their fans also like list, listen to a song by that band, then choose a band from their fans also like list. So kind of the same uh, degrees of separation thing going on. He says, two, on your No Country for Old Men episode, you can really use a similar strategy to find new acts that you like. Remember, that was the episode where we talked about newer bands that uh, old curmudgeon classic rock fans like me or you you're not as hey. curmudgeon as me sorry i don't mean to lump you in there but you know what we're talking about is is new stuff that someone like us might like artists like ty siegel uh michael cronin jeremy porter buffalo killers stone foxes dan auerbach the bonnevilles mark lanigan solo stuff though of course Q-O-T-S-A are just a hard rock band or Queens of the Stone Age. He's, that's what that, he means by that. Uh, yeah. And you like Gary Clark Jr., which rolls you into Samantha Fish, et cetera, et cetera. Gary Clark was on my list. Then, of course, there's the Hold Steady, the Menzigers and the like, all of which are really marketing themselves as classic rock bands and doing a pretty good job. Hold Steady shows. Are there still shows? Question mark are like rock and roll church and they have a heap of concert performances up in their band camp page. Anyway, I appreciate you guys. So first of all, he drops a couple names, good names of bands that, that we can check out uh, that if you're a classic rock fan, you might want to like, but we want to thank Michael for sending the email. And of course, encourage uh, the rest of you to do the same classic guitar rock at mail.com. And the latest, uh, thing i wanted to share we are now also on google podcasts so we are on pretty much all the major platforms spotify apple podcasts google podcasts iheart stitcher all the major platforms you can check us out so please do listen please leave a review also those things all all help so if you could go out and and leave a review that would be great we're excited for today's episode and when we come back jeff we're going to get into this album Phenomenon by UFO. Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Classic Rock Podcast, episode 11. Jeff and Jeremy here with you, and today we're talking about the classic album from the group UFO. It's from 1974, Phenomenon. So, Jeff, you said you had a comment you wanted to make. Oh, I just was having a really fun time uh, searching 
uh-huh. and typing in UFO phenomenon yeah. <laughs> and, and not getting anything to do with the band. You just get UFO stories. And I thought, of course, like what's a perfect name to just yeah. like trip up the, the so search the question engines. Is, how much time did you waste <laughs> reading about unidentified flying objects instead of the band? You know, I was trying to really dedicate my time. So yeah. I was staying very focused. I had a lot of coffee. Um, this album is phenomenal. It's a good album. I think it's a good it's fantastic. Album. Um, let's do just a little uh, a backstory about UFO. And I don't know how far back. I'm more of a UFO geek than Jeff is. I mean, UFO the band. Um, <laughs> right. And and actually, the, the band name UFO has nothing to do with unidentified flying objects. It's actually named after a club mm-hmm. in England called the UFO Club. However, well, like the album cover of Phenomenon has a picture of a UFO on it, right? And then the first two albums of UFO. So it's funny. On the one hand, they say, well, yeah, the name has nothing to do with UFOs. And yet they talk you know, they call their first album one hour space rock, you know, so they're kind of, they kind of play on this unidentified flying object theme, but, but the actual name came from the UFO club. So we have this band UFO started in like 1969. Phil Mogg was there. Pete Way was there. Andy Parker was there, you know, it so it was, it was the core, you know, vocalist and rhythm section was there, but they had um, a guy named, Mick Bolton. Mick Bolton. Yeah, Mick Bolton, uh, Michael Bolton's brother. No, I don't know. There's no relation to Michael. But <laughs> yeah. Mick Bolton, and uh, who was later replaced by Bernie Marsden, who you may know from Whitesnake fame. He was only in there a short time. But if you go and listen to those first two albums, uh, I think the first one's called Flying. Maybe the first one's Flying and the second one is One Hour Space Rock. I can't remember. But they're very trippy, psychedelic. It's I'll just be honest. It's hard for me to get through them, to be honest. Some people love those first two albums, but but to compare that to the post-Shanker UFO, there's really no comparison. And And I don't mean to be too blunt, but... To me, UFO didn't really start until Shanker was in there. That's just my opinion. Okay. So we got uh, Michael Shanker. He's on the first Scorpions album with his brother, Rudolph. Yeah. Lonesome Crow. That's an interesting album to go back and listen to. Again, it's kind of psychedelic. It's from like 73. There's a great video on YouTube called I Think I'm Going Mad where they're all running. It reminds me of Planet of the Apes. They're like running across the cliffs and mountains and they're got their bell-bottom pants on and it's very psychedelic. <laughs> but um, there's like in, that. in Germany somewhere? It, yeah, totally. Yes. Uh, they're in Germany. They're in, in the Black Forest somewhere. <laughs> but Michael was 15 years old or 16 yeah. on that album. And I, I I really want to go back and find out, you know, how he started. Yeah. Like, where did he get his influence and how, 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 how did he get his chops? That's well, like and he the, just was the, born to do what he did. And and that's just it. And I'm interesting, interested you said that, because that's a point I want to make as we get into some of these songs. I think back to when I was 15 years old and just starting to play. I mean, I played for a couple of years, but even when I was 18 years old, the age Michael Shanker is on, on this album today, 
well, there's a reason he's considered a legend and I'm not right. <laughs> but he's just, it's very impressive that a guy this young plays with so much taste mm-hmm. and articulation and clean playing. And it's, it's melodic. A it's a phenomenon, Jeff. <laughs> and songwriting. Right? Yeah. And songwriting. And here's the deal. The right hooks. Like he, like, he, Oh, just he very catchy. And he, he didn't speak English. Okay. He did not speak English when he joined UFO. I think at various times he might have a girlfriend that's, that could translate. Uh, but at the very beginning, at least the first album, I mean, he spoke very little English. And can you imagine what that would be like? You know, the collaborative process of trying to write a song with, mm-hmm. you don't even, you don't even speak the language. And so I've read in other interviews that it was a lot of just jamming. They'd come together and jam and, and, He'd play a part, you know, and I guess he could tell based on how the guy was singing. Is this a sad song? Is this a, what? I don't know. I just you speak the language of rock, the language of rock. That's right. It's actually one of my things I talk about when I'm talking about music with people. Yeah. I say it's, it's universal. This is the most amazing thing about music, right? You can connect. Yeah. And like, you know, things like the octave people can relate to around the world. It doesn't matter everybody can hear that and it's like right. oh, that was an octave exactly it's fascinating that, that's a great point i'm just trying to think you know if you if you and i were playing together we'd say oh yeah this is in d go to the d here or whatever you know if the guy doesn't speak english and they he probably very quickly picked those basics up d you know the, the names of the chords or whatever but even that basic stuff you take for granted mm-hmm. that would be that would be an interesting thing here here's an 18 year old kid been in Germany. I don't know if his first time in England, if this was his first time in England, I don't know. But all of a sudden, he's now in a band. These guys are, most of them, quite a few years older than him. Were they opening for the Scorpions, right? Scorpions were opening for UFO. So Scorpions were opening for UFO. Bernie Marsden had come in kind of temporarily to replace Mick Bolton. And they offered Michael a gig. I mean, they're in the middle of this tour of Germany and they offer Michael this gig. Hey, would you like to come in and be our guitar player? And Rudolph, and I didn't realize this. Rudolph is like seven years older than Michael. So he's a lot older than Michael. And here's Michael who's like 15 or well, by now he's 18 and Rudolph encouraged him to do it. Yeah, you should do it. You should do it. Cause UFO was bigger than the Scorpions at the time. So, so he joins and this album uh, released in May of 1974, their first, their first album. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Now, before we get into the tracks, and I don't know if we've talked about this, Jeff, but I remember a long time ago hearing this story that at one point when Mick Taylor was leaving the Stones, mm-hmm. this is 75, 76, they were pursuing Michael Schenker. Whoa. As a replacement. Okay. Now, uh, now when I first heard this story, I'm a Shanker fan, right? I'm listening to Assault Attack. I'm listening to Michael Shanker Group and all this borderline heavy metal, hard rock. Michael Shanker's wearing his bomber jacket and got his spiky blonde hair. That's what I'm thinking. And so when I hear Shanker and the Stones, what were nah. they thinking? That would never work. That's stupid. But when I hear this album... Okay, don't laugh when I say this. 
And you think of the context, right? You think, don't think about 1980, right? Don't think about the Scorpions. Don't think about even later USO, UFO. But when you hear this album from 1974, I could totally see why the Stones would want him. And here's a little exercise. There are at least three songs on this album, maybe four. I could totally hear Mick Jagger singing. You just change Phil's voice to Mick Jagger and it would totally work. And so in that context, I see why the Stones were interested in this 18-year-old kid, Michael Shanker, to come in and replace uh, Mick Taylor. But that's crazy because when I first heard that story, I thought, Shanker and the Stones, that would never yeah. work. It's a hard, it's a little bit of a stretch for me at the moment, but I'm going to. Yeah. But I'm going to keep that in the back of my as mind. We, when as we, and I'll tell you the songs as we go through. I'll tell you the ones. I want you to picture Mick Jagger singing this song, and it would totally work. One other thing. Oh, at one point, Ozzy Osbourne approached Michael Shanker. This is before pre-Randy Rhodes. He was originally practicing with Gary Moore. So Gary Moore was kind of doing his starting his solo thing but but originally my understanding is Ozzy wanted Gary Moore and think of that that would have been an interesting band that and would have Gary, been. Gary Moore was actually practicing with Ozzy in LA and uh you know helping him audition other members of the band but Gary Moore from the beginning says no I'm I'm not interested in joining the band but I'll help you right and so but that's interesting so I'm not sure how involved Gary Moore was in actually getting Randy Rhodes because that was all Dana Strum who was playing bass with them and was kind of he, he had a lot of connections in LA and knew a lot of musicians he's the one that actually brought him in but I kind of digress but I just thought it was interesting that at one point Ozzy Osbourne was interested in Shanker I could now, see that based on both of their uh issues that they've had with various substances Ozzy and Michael Shanker would not have been a good idea. <laughs> Some of the music might have been cool, but uh, I don't know if that would have worked. Uh, and I think Michael even knew that because because as I've read Michael talking about it, he he said I I didn't think that would be a good a good idea. He didn't elaborate why he didn't think it would be a good idea, but I just think that that would have been interesting. So, but apparently Pete Way was kind of a party animal running around stage and. Yes. Wrecking things. And and they all were. They all yeah. were. They so. they uh there's a story on the uh the obsession tour. So this is the tour that they no, this is earlier than that. This was when they were opening probably the lights out era. They were opening for Fleetwood Mac and they were on their bus, and Phil Mogg talks about what's the words he uses that they needed some uh he didn't use this word, but drugs, right? They were wanting some drugs. And so they hook up with April wines, <laughs> April wines tour bus. So it's in the area or whatever. And they get a bunch of drugs and they get to the next show and they were all so messed up that they could hardly move. You know, and Bill <laughs> talks about how he could barely move his mouth. Everyone just stood there like statues, the whole show. He said it was terrible. And I only bring that up to your point about Pete Way. And it wasn't just Pete Way. You know, I think it was Michael. I think it was Phil. This is the maybe the epitome of a otherwise phenomenal band that kind of shot themselves in the foot 
because they went overboard. And I think that was a, a, a lot. We see that with Black Sabbath, right? That the drug use got to be such a problem that it really screwed them up. And I think that was the case with UFO. So, so kids don't do drugs. Just say <laughs> no. Okay. Just gummy bears. Yeah, that's right. Gummy bears. Fine. Drugs. No. Uh, Unless you're in Colorado, then the gummy bears. <laughs> yeah. The gummy bears. Oh, might in not be. the gummy bears might not be safe. Good point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might be safe, but you might well, not be able to play your scales. Exactly. <laughs> Washington <laughs> State, where I live, is the same, by the way. So we're the same. That's right. Washington, yeah. Washington and Colorado were the first two states that, yeah. that legalized that. Yeah, yeah. That's a topic for another show. So any other thoughts before we jump in? Track by track, Jeff. Uh, I thought it was a bit interesting that this album was produced by, uh, uh, what's his name? The bass player from 10 years after? Uh, Leo, uh, Leo Lyons? Yeah, Leo, Leo Lyons, Lyons, bass guitarist of 10 years after. I did not know that. I thought it was, it's remarkably, the production is fantastic for it's the time. It's very good, especially when you think it's 74. Uh, yeah. I think it's great. And you're, you might be looking at the same notes I am here, but just another aside, album cover produced by Hypnosis. Hypnosis, for those of you that aren't aware, Hypnosis is a, is a graphic arts company in England that just, they, they crank out these kind of bizarre album covers and they've done it for years. They've done album covers for Pink Floyd, for Def Leppard. So a, a funny story, and it's probably similar here, you know, the, the album cover shows looks like it's some retro picture from the 50s or 60s of a lady standing in her front yard. It looks like a 57 or 55 Chevy in the driveway. Then up in the sky, it's like an unidentified flying object. You know, it's just kind of a retro, kind of just kind of a funky thing. Yeah, she's, she's like pasted on there too, it seems yeah. like. It's kind of kind of hokey, <laughs> but and notice the UFO logo is the old. That's the same logo they had on the first two albums, and then I think I don't have it in front of me. I think by Force It, they have the new UFO logo with the little uh, lightning bolt through the middle. I could be wrong. I, I don't have it in front of me, but this still has the old UFO logo. But one other thing about hypnosis, just so you kind of know how hypnosis works is they would just make these album cover, not for, not for a specific band necessarily. They just make these weird little pictures. And then uh, Def Leppard tells a story of uh, when they saw the album cover for high and dry right? Which is the guy in the speedo diving. And then all the guys on the side of the album in black and white, all the bald guys, just weird. It's like, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. So Def Leppard saw this album cover and they had no idea what it meant. It's just what the album cover bought from hypnosis. And that could have been that same cover could have wound up on a Pink Floyd album. It could have wound up on anyone's album, right? That's kind of the way it worked. So same thing. You look at hip at the uh, album covers that hypnosis made, force it uh no heavy petting they're just bizarre they have nothing to do with the album they have nothing to do with any of the songs but that's just what they did that's how they rolled in the 70s you know they just buy this weird album cover from hypnosis so that's interesting indeed all right so are we ready to go track by track jeff yeah let's do it the first track is too young to know 
and this is one of my favorite songs uh, on the album. It's uh, it's just a very melodic. It's not flashy. You know, and it's just kind of a mid tempo. Yeah, happy tune. It's a happy tune, a major scale. And this is 74. You know, we're not talking about a whole, there's crunch, right? He's playing through Marshalls, but not super, super heavy. Not as heavy sounding as Leslie West to me, you know. But again, this is just a, a, a good, upbeat, major scale rocker. One interesting thing I thought about, I feel like there was some old Journey song that this kind of pulled me into. I don't know what wow. tune I'm thinking of. Right. But there's just something about, there's the, I think this is the song with, there's a change when it kind of plays the sea walking down. Yeah. And it, just, it's, it gives me a, it gives me a, a journey kind of. Thing. And, and, you know, Neil Sean's a big major scale guy, you know, yeah. so you hear that feel. Yeah. I could see that. And the um, bass is awesome in this tune. Yes. Very good bass. Pete way kind of an underrated bass player. Everyone talks about him kind of being this wild party man. And he was, but he was a great bass player too. It's a, it's a tight arrangement. I think Phil Mogg also is a great vocalist. He's got his own unique style, very much kind of a, a, a in the school of like a, a Paul Rogers to me, you know, kind of a bluesy sounding He's not a Robert Plant, right? He's not a screamer. He's not an Ian Gillen, but he's just got a great bluesy delivery. I, th- I think he's great. Yeah, he's he's. I was not aware he was he was that talented. Awesome. Then we've got Crystal Light. This was before Crystal Light, the lemonade mix, right? It was before <laughs> that. Okay, but Crystal Light. This is one of the songs. Now, I, when this is over, Jeff, I want you to go back and listen to it. And I want you to think of Mick Jagger singing the song. Okay. This is a mellow song. It's got some acoustic guitar in it. There's a lot of acoustic guitar on this album, actually. Mm-hmm. And a lot of very melodic, uh, mellow, pretty songs. Okay. There's a lot. There's a lot on this. Okay. So you think of UFO as a hard rock band, and they are. But there's a lot of melodic, kind of lighter stuff. And this is one of those songs. Felt like the, maybe not the original, but a beginning of the, of the heavy metal kind of ballad. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. That ar- arpeggio intro on the guitar. Yeah, totally. I could totally see that. Yeah, it did great vocals, backup vocals. There's a lot of like ooze, ooh, you know, a lot of ooze and ahs going on. There's a lot of vocal stuff going on. And I just want to throw this out for folks that are familiar with the later UFO stuff. This album doesn't have a keyboard player on it. So the the later albums they bring in, I don't think Paul Raymond was the first one, but but Paul Raymond's the guy we always associate with UFO as the keyboard player slash rhythm guitarist. Uh, And that was always kind of part of their formula. Paul Raymond, Neil Carter, you know, various incarnations of the band always had that second guitar player slash keyboard player. Uh, But this is before that. So what's interesting as we get to the next song, Dr. Doctor, all the intro is, is guitar. You know, it's all just kind of a mellow guitar buildup, little arpeggiated figure before the song really kicks in on the later live versions. That's all done on a keyboard. You know, it's a kind of a piano part, this 
this mm. kind of classical, heavily orchestrated key part, keyboard part till you get into uh, Doctor Doctor. But interestingly enough, I feel like this album doesn't get the credit that later albums like Lights Out and Obsession got. But their two biggest songs, in my opinion, are on this album. You know, we got Lights Out, or I mean, we've got Doctor Doctor. I mean. And then later on in the album, we have Rock Bottom. But to me, those are live staples. You go see UFO anytime over the last 50 years since they've been around, they are going to play those two songs at every show. No matter who the guitarist is, those songs get played and lights out. Those three songs will get played. There probably has not been a UFO show since 1974 that has not featured these two songs the first of which is dr doctor so what are your thoughts on dr doctor i have some notes about uh it kind of reminded me of the scorpions mm-hmm. ballad mm-hmm. i don't know if it was still loving you maybe some beginning similar? part where it's beginning mellow part. yeah yeah kind of a minor thing as, yeah. as in contrast to too young to know mm-hmm. so i really i really like that pulls me in always whenever there's a minor thing that happens and then I just love the the harmony guitar. It comes in, it's, and, and then it's it's galloping like a lot yeah. of these songs that are, are the rockers on this album, especially this one. It's got that gallop that I associate with like Iron Maiden and Steve exactly. Harris. Exactly. Yes. And yeah. and if you go back and listen to and so, now I won't go this far because I don't think this is true. But I read who was it saying? I can't remember. I was reading an interview where they said this song invented the the two guitar sound that Judas Priest would use, that Iron Maiden would use. I think it's influential, but Wishbone Ash was doing this before UFO. So 71, 72, they're already doing the twin harmony guitar leads. They weren't as influential. They weren't doing it in as heavy a context as Shanker. But I thought exactly the same thing. When you hear Dr. Doctor, you think, Iron Maiden and who covers this song who covers this song. Yes. <laughs> and at the beginning, if you've ever seen Iron Maiden, what do they play before their show? It's UFO. They're playing UFO is what they're always playing before. So UFO been very, has been very influential to Iron Maiden and to Def Lepp. They will both tell you guys, Pete Way invented the stripy pants. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So Steve Harris, the yeah. guy in Def Leppard, yeah. they got that's completely a Pete Way ripoff. There's a funny interview with Steve Harris where he says, he says, Yeah, I saw UFO and I thought Pete's pants were dreadful. Of course, I went out and bought a pair right away. You know, but that's <laughs> the whole thing, is they were super influential. And and it's a case of just like mountain, right? Lots of these bands that they inspired went on to become way more successful than they ever were. But man, UFO really inspired it. That gallop you talk about, there weren't any other bands playing like that in 75, 74, 75, you know, and it's just a great rock tune. Dr. Doctor is just a great, great song. There's uh, there's that bridge. I guess it's a bridge where the, the ride symbols going. It's great drum section. Oh, and love that. And again, you don't get credit. He, uh, Andy doesn't get credit on drum as a, you know, you never see his name come up as great drummers. If if UFO had been as popular as Deep Purple or Black Sabbath, 
I think all of these guys' names would be, you know, they'd be mentioned in the same way. They never got that level of success. So dare I say the UFO, the band flew under the radar. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Yes. That's exactly what they did. You know? Oh, Space Child. Space Child, another mellow song. I was listening to it last night. To be honest, last night's the first time I really paid attention to the lyrics of this song. It's kind of a trippy song. Uh, it's cool. There's yeah. a there's an awesome live version from Don Kirshner's rock concert, one of those shows of them doing this song live. And the challenge, you know this, Jeff, playing in a band, slow songs are hard if you only have one guitar player. Mm-hmm. They're very hard because the solo comes, everything's moving slower. All you've got is the bass. The guy's not singing. And sometimes it sounds so empty. And yet when I see this live version, I don't notice that it's empty. And, and I think that's, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know. It means that Pete covers it well enough as the bass player. You don't notice the holes or it's the way Michael's playing, but it, it works as a slow song, you know, with just drums, guitar, and bass. Uh, And Shanker's just, he's just awesome on this song. And one of the things, again, as I listen to this, and I'll get in trouble when I say this, here's an 18-year-old kid. The way he plays is so, the way he picks is so clean and articulate. You know, you go back and listen to Blackmore, and I love Richie Blackmore. He's compared to Shanker, way sloppier. Jimmy Page, who's brilliant, is a very sloppy player most of the time. Where with Shanker, I don't hear that. He plays very clean and he's playing. It's hard. If you're not a guitar player, I struggle with this. It's hard to play way up high on the neck for me. And when I hear someone like Shanker, who's way up high and still plays cleanly and very smooth and articulate, I, that's something I can't do. I, I can't do it. And here's a kid who's 18 years old, who's playing so clean and articulate, even way up on the neck without tons of gain. To me, I just, I, I don't know how he does it. Have you seen, um, there's a live version of Dr. Doctor. I can't remember what was in the title. I think it says Michael's first something, but it, it, he's got his flying V and he's got it. He's hunched over it. He he's, got, over. he's got the V part in his thigh. On his leg. That's the way he plays. Yeah. And, and he's just, and, and he doesn't move. <laughs> he just stays. Yeah. And, and depending on the video, is it one of those where you never see his face? Because his hair is just hanging in front of his face the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. And he's, he's doing the, the, the beginning part. And he's the, you know, obviously there's, there's no harmony. Right. But he's, he pulls it off, you know? Yeah. Because there's two guitars at least. And then there's the rhythm guitar and then on the, recording mm-hmm. and he's just he's pulling it off live just double you know guess, does he just switch between playing one part at one time and the other part at the other you don't mi- really miss it when you see it live i feel like he's he's actually playing like a, a two note kind of thing like a okay. double stop like a unison and he's, he's, he's actually creating a harmony when he's bending that up so yeah. it's just so cool and he makes he's got these big platform boots on oh, yeah yeah i've seen it is he is he wearing a shirt or is he shirtless He's shirtless. Yeah, yeah. He's just he's, he's like a wild man. And then Great. later, later, so like on uh, uh, Strangers in the Night, where he's got Paul Raymond, they double, 
they do all the harmony parts with two guitars. They can do all that. But yeah, you're right. Now, interestingly enough, they brought in after this album, because I think you can find on Spotify, there are uh, BBC recordings where they brought Paul Chapman in as a second guitarist. So even though on this album, Michael's the only one, they did tour with Paul Chapman, who replaced Michael later after Michael left. Paul Chapman came in, who's also a great guitar player. But yeah, so you can hear some recordings where there is a second guitarist and then others where there's not. So it just kind of depends on when and where it all went down. But okay. you, mentioned the, you mentioned the lyrics too. Of Space Child? Of Space Child, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's um, I, I can't think, remember them all right now, but I can't tell when I listen, is it really about a space child, someone from space, or is it about, because the, the opening lines talk about the space in your life, you know, what have you done in your, that type of thing. And so it, it almost sounds like there might be a double, a play on that word space child, but then there are other lines that make me think they are talking about. It's just kind of a trippy lyric. Do you have the lyrics in front of you there, Jeff? Yeah. There's only like two, there's not much two okay. you know, converses, so to speak. Yeah. Going through pages and looking down lines and lines space of your life is only passing you by. Okay, space of your life. So is that the space they're talking about in Space Child? Then it's Space Child ages as he turns and faces the lie. Okay. Then after laughter was caught in his throat as he died. Okay, yeah. Fly on homeward, world spinning by bringing clouds in your eye tonight. The space of your life is only passing you by. Interesting. So for whatever that means, right? Yeah. Maybe it's uh, your soul. It could Maybe, be. It's, you it's know. but last night as I lent to it, that's the first time we really ever really paid attention to it. So cool. kind of an interesting song. But then that brings us into the the closing song of side one. And by the way, I definitely think side one's the, the stronger side. But anyways, uh, the side one closes out with rock bottom, which is another huge song. And just that riff at the beginning, there's a lot of songs that came later that I think borrowed this idea from rock bottom. You know, the whole, you know, you're, you're riding on the low E string wasted by Def Leppard comes to mind. It's kind of based on that same mean streak by YNT. Again, it's that a, a string hitting the octave E you know, mixing mm. it up. But this is again, 74 rock bottom comes out and it's just a really good, really good tune. This is one that you see live. It'll be 12 minutes long, right? Because he'll have this on the out. Al- well, even on the album, it's six minutes long, but this is one he really opens up on. And there's a even newer videos from the last couple of years where he's playing that solo to rock bottom. It's just phenomenal. And it's different every time he does it. But this is the song he really opens up on. Yeah. And that tone, it, it kind of <laughs> instantly reminded me of, uh, you know, Money for Nothing, Mark Knopfler. Yeah. Straits. yeah. So he he kind of had his wah pedal on and he wasn't going back and forth with his wah. It was just, you know, somewhere, you know, in the middle. Leaves it in the middle. Kind of acting like a filter to get that nasally kind of thing. Yeah. And this this riff, when it opens remind like i wonder if he had that going on i i bet he did. anyway totally but that's totally the, the that's the shanker sound the yeah. the crybaby's on but you're not using it it's yep. just kind of in the middle 
to yeah. get that nasally. That's a, yeah. Cause later on the, on the Shanker albums, that's all over the place. You know, that's just, that was the, the Michael Shanker sound. And he does a lot where he rolls off the volume, you know, where he, I, I don't, I don't want to say it sounds like the woman tone as much as like Leslie West got that sound. However, on one song on this album, I do kind of hear that, but, but there's a lot of, you know, roll back the volume and a lot of great players are able to do this is they use their, I mean, I, I never use my volume knob or my tone control. I never do. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't know. I'm just, I don't know how. Right. But these guys, I mean, he's using, they, they got them. They got as much as they could. This is before there were a bunch of effects. Well, right? that's those. I was going to say, you've got a, you got a guitar and a cable into maybe into a wall, but into the amp often you're diamond the amp to get that gain. But then when you roll back, you've got your rhythm or you, and you play with your tone to get different kind of texture. Which and that, that's what they had. That's and they it. made it work. I kind of want to go back to that. Yeah, you know? Totally. But again, this is a classic. It's a staple. There, there's never been a, a, a UFO or Michael Shanker show that has not featured rock bottom or Dr. Doctor. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality. I mean, that's like going to see deep purple and they don't play smoke on the water. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Right. So that's, I love the, the ending too. I'm trying to think, how does it end? It's kind of, it's got these crashes. Da, 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 da. Oh yeah. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. It's really, yeah. it's really, yeah. it's really tight. Yep. And then, da, 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 da. and then he mm-hmm. slightly changes the chord to, there's a little dissonant chord on one of the stops there too. And then it kind of resolves at the end. Yeah. I love that song. The whole song is just, it's awesome. Then side two, side two starts with Oh My. I have some notes that remind me yeah. of a Grand Funk rail, rail, Railroad. Song. Totally. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I groovy. can totally see that. Kind of a groovy sound. And the, the guitar solo has it. Yeah, it, I could totally see you uh, a Grand Funk there. It's a good one. And I think I also had, it's got that gallop as yeah. well. Time on My Hands is the other one that sounds like a Rolling Stone song to me. Second second track on side two, Time on My Hands. It's mellow. Has a good guitar solo in it. Tasty guitar solo. Great vocals. Great vocals. Man. Yeah, it's a good one. And this has acoustic on it too, right? Yeah, there's mm-hmm. acoustic guitar on this. Yep. Uh, so I, I guess I'm impressed with Michael's versatility at for such a young player and just tasty mm-hmm. you know i still to this day play a lot of crap right i'll i'll play stuff and go oh that didn't sound very good and i'm sure you know this is the recorded version you know we don't hear all the stuff all the clams bef- that didn't go on the album but he uh just sounds really good just th- just throughout the album uh but yeah great song the next song built for comfort is an old Willie Dixon tune, but, but notice they give Willie Dixon writing credit here. Mm-hmm. Unlike Led Zeppelin <laughs> who wouldn't have. Okay. So they give Willie Dixon credit and this is an old, this is an old blues tune. This is the one that has, there's two, there's like two guitars. There's the main, the more prominent guitar, which is playing the riff, but then to the side, there's, this is the one that's kind of got the woman tone feel the volumes backed off. You know, it's a little bassier sounding where he's playing some tasty little blues licks mm-hmm. aside, you know, beside that main riff that he's playing. 
and it's a it's a typical blues song, blues beat, blues bass part. Uh, but I think they pull it off really well. I think it's a it's a good song. ZZ Top, I instantly yeah. thought of. It's got a very ZZ Top feel. And speaking of versatility, right? He's playing obviously more of a blues and, and slower this, kind of holding those bends exactly and i think this is style. really the the only song on the album that i really think this is a blues song mm-hmm. right it's a straight ahead blues queen of the deep the last song kind of got some of that element but this song is a blues song yeah and and it's it's very good now we've got an instrumental here the the track after that is called lipstick traces and I used to always just kind of look at this as kind of filler, but as I've been listening to it more, I don't really feel that way anymore. I, what are your notes you have on lipstick traces? I had spacey cosmic country rock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um, I, the melody, uh, I feel like a lot of other bands uh, have been influenced by this kind of minor melodic thing. And here's what's interesting. I almost expected this to be a cover the first time I heard it because and this will really date me. And you, you mentioned country, right? This sounds to me like two things. It reminds me of Sleepwalk. Not so much the slide guitar part, but the accompaniment, the chords behind it sound like Santo mm-hmm. and Yanni. I mean, it's just kind of that style. This reminds me of a Floyd Kramer song. You remember Floyd Kramer that played all the country? He played no. countrified honky-tonk versions of on the piano, right? And I hear this, and I think of Floyd Kramer. But here's the deal. There are some notes in there, and this is the harmonic minor you're talking about, that when I hear it, I can't see from this time frame. I cannot imagine an American playing this song. The choice of notes to me sound very European and almost medieval in some of the, it's not dark. It's not a dark song at all. It's kind of upbeat, but he plays notes there that are not major scale notes. He throws in some extra little classical notes that I would picture someone on a lute playing or something. I don't know when I hear it. And I'm like, I don't know if he actually has a classical background or if, or if this is just his ear, you know, that he plays these notes. I I do remember hearing an interview that Michael Shanker, this is way back in the eighties, back in the eighties, I'd read my guitar player magazines and they'd always talk about UFO and they'd always talk about Michael Shanker. And And I had never even heard any UFO albums as I read these interviews, but I can remember Shanker saying one time that I can't remember who it was. It was probably Phil Mogg, but I don't, I can't remember the criticism he would get is that, man, all your guitar solos sound like nursery rhymes. (laughs) And what they meant was they're very melodic Mm -hmm. and they are. And this, Lipstick Traces is a perfect example of it's a very uh, I had down lullaby. It's that's a perfect word for it. That's a perfect word. That's what it sounds like. 
right? And even on some of his more rocking songs, they have that, you can sing them back. They have that element to them. He's very, very melodic. And, And he's able to weave from a theory standpoint, you probably know more about this than I do, Jeff, but from a theory standpoint, he's weaving in a couple different scales within these songs and you don't even notice he's doing it. Yeah. And it's just a short little, it's only two minutes long, two minutes and 20 seconds, but it's a beautiful piece. And this is kind of a precursor to later instrumentals like that, that Bayou Pleasurette song, which comes later in his career. Same type of thing. There's another one on one of the UFO albums. I can't remember where you get the same concept, only he's adding more layers. He's got three or four different guitars playing on some of these songs, but it's always the same kind of melodic, often major scale feel. It's just very musical and very, they're pretty songs, you know, and and I really hear that. And then the last tune is Queen of the Deep. What do you think about this one? Again, another like slow, mellow kind of intro, right? Exactly. Spacey. Uh, love the picking. I have big notes on his uh, Phil's voice. Oh, what do you what do you think about Phil? I haven't been giving Phil enough credit during this conversation, by the way. It's like you know, I just I was just listening to a, a second there, but to mm-hmm. remind myself, it, it the, his voice is so present. It's like right in front of your face. You know, there's he's not hiding behind tons of reverb, or I don't I don't really hear a lot of compressions unless it's really subtle, mm-hmm. and it's just it just the way he kind of sings these melodies mm-hmm. just, I think he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't get enough credit. Awesome. He's a great singer. He's a great singer. And this is one, again, a, a pretty simple riff when you hear it, once it kicks in, starts out mellow, like you said, kind of mellow and spacey, but then this riff comes in kind of a single note riff uh, that sounds really good. I think it's this song that is probably my least favorite solo if I'm remembering correctly, this is one that's, I just talked about how melodic he is and all of this. This is one, and not that it's a bad solo, but this one seems like a very busy solo for the sake of being busy. Mm. Like maybe he hadn't thought this one out as much. It's fast, you know, not like blazing fast, but, but fast. And uh, not as many bends. He doesn't, one of the things that that he does great is his vibrato is just awesome. He's got this nice wide vibrato. And I think it's this song where I miss that in the solo because he's just, it's a lot of picking, you know, just mm. a lot of notes. And I think it's Queen of the Deep that, that I'm thinking about there. But, th- but that wraps up the album. And it's a, it's a good song. I said I preferred side one, and I do. I think side one is the stronger side. But side two, there's, again, this is like the Mountain Album. There's not a bad song on this album. And for me, it's the context that's so important, right? Here's an 18-year-old guy, his first album with this band. And this album is, is a, a, a monumental album in who it influenced and how much influence it had on other people. Uh, and a lot of uh, the stuff we consider classic hard rock or classic metal you can trace right back to here. And, and sadly, a lot of the folks that are big Iron Maiden fans or Def Leppard fans or, or whoever, or Guns N' Roses fans, right? They've cited UFO. 
they even steal, you know, remember that part of uh, Sweet Child of Mine? Where do we go? Where mm-hmm. do we go? Where do we go from here? Well, that's taken right off of this album, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, so anyways, we all know the bands they influenced, but but many folks haven't actually gone back to the source to hear where all of that came from. So it's always good to go back to the source. So sum up the whole album, Jeff, in your words, what makes this a great album? Wow. A surprise for me and, and inspirational as a guitar player to go and do some studying mm. and learn some of his, his stuff and his techniques. Cause I really, you know, I, I, back when I was in high school, I think Michael Schenker group was kind of like on our radar a little, Right, but UFO is not. I didn't back then think about going back, so uh, I didn't. You know, I don't have a lot of experience. But listening to this, like you said, every song I think is just awesome, and it's and enjoyable, I'm, and it's it's versatile. There's just like lots of different things in here. I'm I'm like you is uh, I was familiar with Michael Schenker and pretty familiar. I mean, I had the Michael Schenker albums in the early mid '80s. I started getting into Michael Schenker. I'd hear them refer to UFO. I think the local rock station played lights out, you know, so I had heard lights out, but it's to be honest, really only been about the last 10 years that I've really gone back and dug into UFO and they're, they're maybe my favorite band. And, and this is a great album. You know, it's, it's the start of what I consider UFO. They had the two earlier albums, but, but this is a great place to start. And, and like you, versatility is what I think, you know, here's, here's a, and we always focus on Michael and he's phenomenal, but the whole band is really solid, a really solid band. The bass playing's great. The drumming's great. The singing's great. If you're going to start digging into UFO, you might as well start with this album. Right. And then uh, this is one of my favorite UFO albums. People always will cite obsession as their favorite and obsession's a great album too, but this might be my favorite UFO album. I go back and forth. It might be different if you ask me next week, but have you uh, gotten into strangers in the night? Yes. And a live album. Here's the thing. That's a whole nother topic. Considered one of the best live albums. Yeah. And and it's my favorite live album ever. I have the, the original vinyl LP, but if you listen to it on Spotify, you get twice as much stuff, right? So listen to the digital version because you hear more, but, uh, and I'll use Dr. Doctor and rock bottom as examples. As good as these songs are on the album, I actually prefer them live. UFO is one of those bands that I, and and Cheap Trick is in this category for me. They are better live. Their live albums are better than their studio albums. I just think there are some bands that are meant, there are studio bands, there are live bands. And Strangers in the Night, yeah, that's a phenomenal album. Everyone should own it. Everyone should own it. It's great. Yeah. So after after getting into phenomenon, hit strangers in the night. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And then you'll be disappointed after you've heard strangers in the night and you go back and listen to the studios because that's what happened to me. I got strangers fairly early on and loved it. And then I'd go back and listen to some of these songs on the album. I'm like, oh, man, I like the live version better. So anyways. Yeah. Well, hey, this has been great, Jeff. I appreciate you picking did you pick i picked this album right you picked yeah you picked this album well i appreciate you listening to it (laughs) i appreciate you sending it over to me it's great so uh thanks so much for listening we'll have another great album next week i'm not sure which we'll have to figure that out jeff we'll do uh, another great album next week 
Uh, remember, you can email us, classicguitarrock at mail.com. We're available on all the major platforms, so please uh, listen, subscribe, put in a review there. And we also have our Patreon page. We still haven't met our goal of nine bucks a month yet, Jeff. So the invitation's still out there. The first patron on Patreon we're going to bring on the show. So there's that too. So check us out, classicguitarrockpatreon.com. And also we've got uh, the YouTube channel, Facebook. So it's been great. Thanks so much for listening. Jeff, I'll see you next week, bud. Yes, see you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast. Please like, subscribe, and share. You can email us at classicguitarrock at mail.com. We'll see you for the next episode of the Classic Guitar Rock Podcast.